Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm a broadcaster, also a book publisher and uh, an aspiring writer. But I, for my sins, support Charlton Athletic. My heart is in Tottenham, um, not just the club, but also in the area. And of course, I am the referee on the BBC Up All Night's World Football phone-in. Yeah, I'm the bastard in black that you all hate. <laughs> You know what? I feel I feel as if I've sort of undersold our, our, our chat by not opening with uh, the real sounds of Africa. It's ah. a, a first for us, <laughs> isn't it, really? I am a football fan. I am a soccer fan. And don't forget, I've come to see Lineker. And I've come <laughs> to see Maradona, who's going to score in Naples. Exactly. That feels very appropriate with Napoli being back in the, the Champions League. It's making so. me feel the swell of excitement. <laughs> it's making me feel the swell of uh, four Euro pizzas, which is... Ooh. Don't, 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 don't start me on Naples and, <laughs> uh, and food. But the Euros are coming. They, they are. They're coming home. They're coming. Well, not quite home, but they're coming anyway. <laughs> not quite home. Well, you, know, you know what? With us thinking of such an evocative song and us thinking of all the memories that it brings up. What's your first memory of football from when you were a kid? Gosh, my first memory, my clearest memory, I don't think it's the first time that um, I was sort of engaged deeply in football, but my earliest memory is going to White Hart Lane um, with the kids that um, in my area. Basically, I grew up in Tottenham at that point. Time. Yeah. And at that time, we would have probably only been in Tottenham for a couple of months, but I, I, I remember arriving in Tottenham um, 
in a black cab. I was telling somebody the story the other day. Obviously, you know, our family were poor and we were we took the tube to Manor House station and then mm. my father thought, oh, we've got to arrive in style, so let's jump into a black cab here <laughs> for the last half a mile. And we literally were carrying all our worldly possessions in a few buckets, if you can imagine that. Well, they are quite roomy black cabs, aren't they? <laughs> yes, so. they, are, they are. In those days, they weren't as roomy, but yeah, nowadays <laughs> they're much bigger. But we arrived in this uh, cul-de-sac that we lived in. There was a yeah. cul-de-sac of three houses, a veiled terrace for those who know N4. And there were a bunch of kids and it literally backed onto Harringay Stadium when it was still a dog track and yeah. a, uh, a stock car racing track and a banger racing track. And they were literally playing football up against the fence to Harringay Stadium because, you know, in those days, a cul-de-sac was a football pitch. Mm. You know, the council may not have agreed with it, but we certainly did. As <laughs> yeah, I a- remember those little signs, no ball games oh, and yeah. <laughs> all the rest of it. I don't think they even had that there because I mean, it wasn't we, an estate. We always read it as play ball games. Yeah, of course. I think yeah. most kids do, right? We couldn't actually read. So you're <laughs> lucky. You went to a good school. So it didn't make any sense to us at all. Um, and, and they were... They when our taxi arrived, you know, these kids stopped playing football, looked out as these young black kids, because they're all white kids, more yeah. or less, white, Greek, you know, whatever you want to call them. And um, they looked as these, you know, they saw two young black boys about their own age get out of the cab. And within 15 minutes of us arriving in our new home, which was like two rooms, by the way, uh, they knocked on the door and, you know, we opened the door and said, fancy coming out for a game of football. And my father obviously wanted us to sit and read our books and learn and prepare for the school that we were going to go to on Monday. But he thought, you know, I bet let these local kids show us the ropes, you know, show us what's what. Yeah. So he let us go out unusually and we played football. And from then on, we were Tottenham fans because the other side of the road of Hermitage Road, which was the main crossroad, was Arsenal. And the dividing line in Tottenham went down Hermitage Road. We were on the opposite side. Velteris was on the opposite side. of. So you had a lucky escape, essentially. <laughs> I like to think so. <laughs> I like to think so, yeah. Unfortunately, though, then I ended up in flipping Arsenal territory for my secondary school. But we'll come on to that in a moment if we have time. <laughs> so the kids, within a few weeks of us being there, the most, a couple of months of us being there, took us down to Tottenham. Yeah. And literally, you know, imagine Tottenham's like two, three miles away from where we are. Yeah. Can you imagine a bunch of eight, nine, ten-year-olds walking all the way, no adult supervision, from our house down to Tottenham and paying 10p or two shillings to get in to White Hart Lane? It was amazing. My memory is that they were playing Stoke. It could have been Southampton. You can guess why. Yes. But my memory is it was Stoke because I remember Black Shorts. Could have been Southampton, but nevertheless. And uh, I was just transfixed in that stadium. I don't think I saw much of the match. I seem to remember Jimmy Greaves coming over, uh, you know, past. In those days, the older people, and it was all terracing in those days, they literally carried the younger kids over their heads so that we could be right up at the front, right up against the fence, you know. So I saw the likes of Alan Mullery and Jimmy Greaves within five or six feet away from me. Those are my earliest memories of football, actually. Terracing at Plough Lane and you're you're right up at the front. I remember my dad shoving me in in, in front of him. And um, yeah, it's kind of what you're saying. It's sort of, uh, I feel simultaneously a sort of warmth and actually a bit of sadness that maybe that doesn't exist for 
kids nowadays because you've got a seat and it's so expensive. So well, maybe you down, don't even end up going in the first place. You can go down the lower leagues because I used to take That's my true. daughters to Barnet, which is up the road from where we're living. Yeah. And um, there you can be on a terracing if you want to. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, if you go to the terracing, which is at one end of the, behind the goalpost at one end of the ground, you're going to hear a lot of uh, adult conversation. Let's put it that sure. way. So, but then you hear that even in the children's enclosure anyway. It's a rite of passage. Yes, exactly. really, isn't it? The, exactly. the last, the last time I went to Barnet when they were still at Underhill, that's where I'm I, talking about. Yeah. I, I paid, I think, seventeen quid to stand up, and despite being six foot two, I couldn't see anything. I, I had a massive I, post in front of me. I, I paid eleven quid, and I used to pay eleven quid, and. I, let me just put it this way. I'm not sure if that 11 quid went to where it was supposed to go. So let's leave it at that. I'm not sure. I cannot say. But, you know, I was a kid once myself. I was a youngster once myself. So we do a lot of juggling in this world. So as you grew up, um, you did acting. You were reputedly the first black teddy boy in North London. The, mate, you show me anybody in North London. What are you talking about North London? Apart from the bloke in Shawaddy Waddy, I was the only <laughs> black teddy boy, mate. Wherever I went to, I never saw any other black teddy boys. So if there are any others, I challenge them. Speak up now. Speak yeah, exactly. up now. Or forever hold your peace. So you became through the theatre and the rest of it, a huge part of, of, of British society. You became deeply embedded in, in, in British society. And then you went off to university in Sweden. Indeed, yeah. Did, did, did football play a part in your life in Sweden as well? Um, it did because I became a Hammerby fan. Um, within probably about six months in Sweden, I, I, I joined a team, sort of like amateur team. Mm. Uh, they played hard there. That's the first lesson I learned. Oops, these guys are strong, bloody hell. <laughs> almost crippled me. They didn't know they didn't know they didn't know, you know, sliding tackles weren't supposed to actually land you in casualty or anything like that. It was really they were hard, they were strong. And I am sure it's because of all the cold weather or whatever, but it was mm. a proper um, you know, baptism of fire for me. I didn't genuinely want to play there at the beginning because I thought, no, I can't take it. But they managed to convince me to join them again the next match and then within about um, f maybe five or six matches I got used to it it just yeah. had to be very fleety on your feet you know very very fleety and genuinely everywhere in those days so we're talking about the late 70s early 80s now in those days in countries where there weren't many black people mm. they often if you played football they'd either call you Pele or Eusebio and I remember being uh, arrested for no reason and put in jail on the border between uh, Yugoslavia and Greece in my hitchhiking days on the Greek side the Yugoslavians didn't have a problem with me but the Greeks uh, this one racist Greek border guard decided to put me in jail for no reason Right, and I spent the night in jail the next morning the kind of the main <clears throat> guard came and said you know and I speak some Greek because I grew up in North London that part of London that was called Little Cyprus. And he would say, you know, why have you got this Mavro? Mavro means a black guy. Well, you know, what, what, why did you take this Mavro um, and put him in jail? And the other guy's saying, you know, we don't know, man. We don't know. And he felt so bad for me. There was a train going to Athens, but it was 
two trains an hour at that time coming through that border post and I had to wait about another six hours before the train was coming so he said come let's go and play football so he had all these border guards including those ones dressed in the traditional Greek do you know the traditional Greek thing that, yes. where they walk up and down yeah all those guys we started playing football and I was immediately Pele you know they, and you ex- they expect you to show some flipping skills this is like proper escape <laughs> to victory course, stuff man, of course <laughs> show some skills don't disappoint you are Pele you are Pele I am George Best you are Pele now show some skills so you had to be really sort of flighty on your feet and I think I scored one goal and celebrated as if I'd scored a hat trick anyway, <laughs> yeah that was uh, good old days yeah I was playing football in Sweden became a Hammerby fan because a friend of mine lived in Hammerby and mm. took me to a football match it's always the way isn't it yeah it, it is and, and when you came back to London um, you end up um doing music for The Voice. You were the uh, music editor for The Voice Indeed, for, for a I long was. time, weren't you? About three, four years, yeah. Okay. I'd have thought, yeah, I'd have thought. And then you end up setting up um, your book publisher. Yes, book publishing company, The Express. Yeah, that's right. The first black book publishing company, no, really. No, it wasn't the first black book publishing the first. company. No, not the first. Alison and Busby were there before right. us. Um, and there was one or two smaller publishers, but I think we were the first to sort of think let's just go mass market instead of try and put out sort of worthy literary books yeah. and stuff but when you were back in london um you moved about you lived in a few different places you lived close to where i grew up for a bit didn't yes, you yes indeed south in, london in, in, in lewisham and i know the you... south will rise again exactly <laughs> <laughs> don't know when <laughs> I, I, I know you went to watch Charlton I mean how did how did moving about affect your football experiences and your relationship with football funny enough I had been to uh, I was a Charlton supporter before I became a sort of like a uh, an adopted Tottenham supporter so I've always supported Charlton because we lived in South London right okay and I grew up in amongst other things South Wimbledon yeah and I could have been a Wimbledon (gasps) fan at the time oh we missed out on you but I think uh, Wimbledon were non-league or whatever I mean you're talking about five six years old yeah. You went with whatever your neighbours said, and he took me along to Charlton. I have no memory of it at all. Uh, when I was probably about six years old, so I'd only yeah. been maybe seven years. I'd only been in England probably you know half a year or a year or something like that. Yeah. And you stick to your first team. So, unfortunately, given our recent results, uh, I'm still a <laughs> I'm still a Charlton fan. Been through all the pain and uh, heartache of that as well. Um, you don't change i've lived elsewhere in uh, in north london in south london um lived up north for a little bit it lived out in essex when mm. i was at university in uh, university of essex i went to see colchester play and i really tried to be a colchester fan even just during that duration yeah but it, it just wasn't in me you know and i went and saw them loads of times because that was a local football team they were in the fourth division i think it was then the old fourth division and um i just I couldn't, I just, you can't do it. It's, it's, it's not funny, the, isn't it's it? It's not the same feeling, is it? I, I remember when I went to watch AFC Wimbledon play a league game for the first time. It was their first first ever home game back in 2002. And you were very upset when the other lot nicked your team. Well, I remember that well, of, very well. Of, of, of course. <laughs> they but, stole our club. I remember you saying that. Of, of course. Yeah. But, but I, I think if you... The thing is, at that point, you you, you realise that it's important that AFC Wimbledon exists. But at that point, you don't really know if it's a protest movement or it's your actual team. And 
for all the other things that have happened in the meantime, uh, the promotions, getting back in the league, going back to play out lane, my most vivid moment of as an AFC Wimbledon supporter is, and it always will be, the first goal we scored. We lost 2-1 at home to Chipstead in the end. But, Ooh, but, Chipstead, who are they? But, uh, honestly, the, 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 guy, the guy who scored the goals for them, and I, I've no idea what his name was, but I know he's the number eight, simply because 4,000 people were singing number eight is a wanker. Ooh, ooh. Yeah. Gosh, that kind of language, eh? So he was, yeah, I, I think it was, a, it was a peak for him. But I, I just remember, like, the goal we scored in that, when when we when we equalised, it was an amazing moment because mm. I realised oh it's not a protest this is my team mm. it's always my team it's our community mm. it's our club and that was an incredible moment to to to, to feel that. Um, uh, just quick word of, word of warning to on. anybody who thinks of calling any number eights bankers or anything else. <laughs> right. I remember going to see Barnet. I think they were playing against Chester. Their number nine, Chester's number nine, was like Roly Poly number nine. Yeah, and all the all the Barnet fans were singing, "Who ate all the pies?" And who ate all the pies? And then he only goes and bangs one in, and then a Given. second, yeah. and then Given. a third. And guess what he was doing? Guess what his goal mouth celebration was it was rubbing his stomach go oh, look at this look at it go on have a look at my stomach eh? <laughs> it was so embarrassing it was so embarrassing for the Barnet fans that they yeah. took the out of him yeah what well, red rag to a ball I, yeah, exactly. I, 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 I say. the first time we met we first met at uh, Five Live on uh, the World Football Phone in that was part of Up All Night. At TV something... Centre as it was then. Yeah, exactly. In Shepherd's Bush. This is something that's still your baby. Now, you got into radio in what, 2000 when Bob Shannon invited you to do Brief Lives? Is that right? Funny enough. That's, what, that's, what, that's when you... I got into got radio in back anyway. in Sweden, actually. So Yeah, I, right. I arguably got into BBC. I should have said the BBC. Yeah. Right. Uh, no, no. But even BBC, I started when I was 12 at the BBC. Right, okay. On the Africa service and okay. world service as a kind of a gopher and helping them out because I was into radio. Okay. But yeah, if you like, my big break came. Before that, I'd been, before 2000, I'd been on BBC Radio London from about 1994. Yes. Doing different programmes, probably did about 20 different programmes yeah. during that time. Yes, you're right. In 2000. We're Bob, talking about as a panellist or a presenter? As a presenter. Right. As I, said, I started as a presenter on BBC Radio London about 1994. That was when right, I first okay. got my first uh, big break, if you like. And then uh, it was 2001 that Bob Shannon asked me. Basically, in 2000, somebody had asked me to do Brief Lives. Mm. Now, hang on, hang on. Okay, let, let me, can I take you back a quick step? Of course. In 1998, I remember it well because it was the birth of my first daughter. <clears throat> and... Um, the Guardian asked me to do an article. Um, basically, their columnist that week was away or ill or on holiday or something like that. They quickly got in contact with me. Can you write an article? Well, I was just about to become a father the next week mm. or two. So I wrote an article about the, you know, what goes through your mind as you're about to become a father for the first time and the sort of enormity of that task. And somebody at Five Live saw it and invited me in as a guest okay. on, on an evening programme. So I came in as a guest. Uh, by the next day, I got invited back on again as a guest. And the third day, I was basically, it got to the point that an ex-girlfriend's boyfriend, who obviously wasn't happy with me for having gone out with his girlfriend at the time, <laughs> said to a mutual friend of ours, every time I switch on Five Live, it's like Dotson Live. And basically, you know, I was being invited on quite a 
lot. In those days, they had a little bit of entertainment. So I used to like, even though I don't drink alcohol, I'd booze myself up on the free wine and everything like that. And my, my tongue would be loose. And I'd say things that they think, wow, this is great radio or whatever it was. And eventually um, I got offered a chance about 2000 maybe beginning of 2001 got offered a chance to sit in for the guy that was doing brief flies whenever he was away he liked to go to the bookies yeah right liked to go to the races to the ggs and anytime he was away on a friday afternoon they booked me in to come and sit in and, and the brief lives was five lives obituary program anyway uh Fast forward eight, nine months, and this is now after 9-11. 9-11 happened September 2001. Yes. And um, over the course of that period, I'm in Five Life quite a lot because, you know, there's a lot going on, etc. People yeah. booking me in uh, to come and be a commentator. And I'd done a few other things as well. I was like a book reviewer on Simon Mayo's programme, amongst yeah. other things. Anyway, about November 2001, or October, November 2001, Bob Shannon, who's now the managing, managing director of the BBC, but at the time was station controlled at Five Live, calls me in and says, um, listen, everybody's talking about you. Everybody's and I've not even met you yet. So mm. I'd like you to sort of take over doing brief lives full time. And I turned around and said, well, yeah, I don't mind that. But the programme I really want to present is Up All Night. Your counter-offer. Well, exactly. Nice. Not, not just counter-offer. No, 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 not counter-offer. It was... Uh, yeah, okay, I'll take Brief Live, just in case you don't agree. <laughs> but also, what about this other one? And he was taken aback. I've met him recently. I've met up with him recently. And he said, mm. yeah, I remember. I was shocked that, you know, anybody would want to do the graveyard shift. And I'm like, yeah, but that was a program. That was a program I loved. Mm. And funny enough, I discovered Tim Vickery that way. Um, being a new father, oh, being okay. a new father, um, um, because by this time I'd have had my second daughter, it is a weird experience wandering around your house in the middle, in the middle of the, of the night. night. Exactly. And this was and before you could like shop via iPad, right? No, no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and also not being able to make much noise, but you know, yeah. having the radio on just very, very low. And then on a Monday morning, I'd hear this guy from South America. I'm like, what? This is amazing. I felt as if I'd been invited into a secret club. Yeah. That nobody else knew. Yeah. And, and, um, <clears throat> Yeah, I, I, I told him, look, I want to present Up All Night. And within about three or four days, I got my first shift on Up All Night. Wow. That's the power of uh, station control, obviously. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. <laughs> obviously, yeah. But obvi obviously, um, you and Tim come together. And when you started, was it still just a 15-minute segment? It was. When when you came to Up All Night? It was. It was. It this was, was before World Football Phone yeah. existed as is now. It, I think it was actually supposed to be a 10 minute segment, but right. obviously Tim was so good that they let him go on for an extra five minutes. Yeah. And when I started, I said, no, it's got to be half an hour, half an hour. And they were like, okay, half an hour. And then um, after a while, I said, no, it's got to be an hour. It's got to be an hour. And they're like, okay, let's do it an hour. And then I remember very clearly saying to my line manager at the time, the editor of Up All Night, you do know a football match is 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's cunning. I like it. It was very good. It was very good. And then by the time, I think, did you come in then or 90 minutes or did you come in? Yeah, full time? I, it was, it was 90, minutes, 90 when, minutes when I came in because I suppose I had a not entirely dissimilar experience to, to, to you because I remember becoming aware, aware of the world football phone and on up all night. And um, speaking to someone at the BBC, and I was like, why don't you have a European person? And I said, well, I wrote this book. I reckon I could do it. And they said, well... All or nothing. Yeah, well, come in Friday. And I did. And they invited me back every other Friday for the next 
seven years. And, um, but you were good. It, you were good. Well, it, wasn't, it wasn't just because that's very we didn't nice have anybody so. else to invite. You know, we had a whole line of <laughs> good, other people. Good to clarify. Good to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> but for, for me, it was an, an amazing growth experience working with you. Because I didn't realise that I wouldn't. I wouldn't be sat here now if I hadn't have done that. For for example, um, but you know, you and Tim in very different ways with the, with the ultimate people to work with and ultimate people to to grow with. Because the freedom you, you have on that show, I think the thing that I was intensely aware of, and this was when the, uh, in uh, 2017, there was the 20th anniversary of the World Football Phone-In on, on Up All Night. So for those who don't know, Up All Night is a longer show that runs on the BBC. Maybe we should have made that clear. That runs from one to five. And the World, the yeah, World Football Phone-In is a, is a segment of that and has become a, a, a bigger segment of that. And uh, this is something that... Um, Tim Vickery wrote when he was writing about the 20th anniversary of it. He said, Dotton is key uh, for two main reasons, in my humble opinion, for the show's success. And he talks about the warmth and the range of the show. But he says, and for the fact, to my unending delight, it frequently appeals to people with little interest in the game of football. And that was the incredible thing about it because people didn't just want to know like, who was top of the league in Switzerland or who's the best player in Portugal or just talk about Barcelona or, or or whatever. The fact is, and Tim is so good at this, the idea that a football exists within society and is reflective of something else. And, you know, you have listeners and you had followers who would continue to listen because it was you having already started to listen to Up All Night, be it the night before or earlier in the show or whatever. And they found their way into an area of interest, not because football was their thing, but because the show in general was their thing. And, you know, how much a, a part of, is it of why the world football, how and why the football, uh, world football phoning works that it's part of something else? Well, uh, it's crucial. It's crucial because, you know, as you know, radio is a broad medium and, um, as much as we love the nuggets of information about football in particular, mm. it quickly became apparent to me that 99.9% of our listeners probably didn't have the relationship with a, you know, um, a Paraguayan left back in the third division of the Paraguayan league or whatever it might be mm. and whether he's got a low centre of gravity or otherwise as as interesting Faith as that vicarism. of course <laughs> he created that phrase you know that will live with him um, but as as interesting as that might be for the ultra football fan the the medium is so broad there'll be people listening at home and you know what they want to hear at that time of night I know my listener, they want to hear banter. Mm. They want to hear a banter that includes them, not excludes them. Mm. That doesn't mean that you can't talk about things that they don't know anything about, but you find a way and organically to sort of like say, okay, you don't know anything about that player in the third division of the Paraguayan League. But did you know that when Tim Vickery went to Paraguay um, and he went to a football match, he was the tallest person in the entire stadium. <laughs> he was two feet above everybody else. He could not hide from the fact and he was immediately... <clears throat> 
all the pickpockets in the stadium were immediately attracted towards him because here is a gringo. We can see it's a gringo because he's two feet taller than us and he must have more money than we have because he could afford to fly over here whereas we can't afford to fly over there. Now, that tells you a lot, doesn't it? It yeah. tells you a lot, not just about Paraguay, uh, the society that is today, maybe the history and world economics and everything else as well. Mm. That brings people in. Um and if you are a broadcaster, you're always aware, you're always keenly aware that, hang on, this might be a little bit too insular. This might be a little bit too much of a closed club. We've had different generations of um, the world football phone. Yeah. So there has been the point, uh, you will remember, when we had a coterie of people who, you know, we gave them Brazilian shirt names because they were so passionate that every week they would ask us a really sort of significant question yeah. on the football. You know, do you remember there was the... Um, <clears throat> There was the, the person who we gave the Brazilian shirt name of being the um, Hounslow Massive, I think it was. And he was a guy that would always call up and say, uh, and this was before Samuel Eto came to play for Chelsea. He would say, yeah, you can go on about all these other footballers, but Samuel Eto is in a different league. <laughs> Every single week he would call up about that. Okay, we know what you're going to call up about Samuel Eto. So we've had those generations. That was Hiral, wasn't it? Hiral, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uxbridge Massive is what yes. Called him Uxbridge Massive. He's an accountant now. He's a family man now. In those days, he was a student. You see, when you're a student, you can engage. You can stay up all night. Of course, you can. <laughs> and pretend that you're doing your studying for your exams, but otherwise, so we've had different generations. I think where we are now, and it will still evolve like football. Yeah. You know, we are in the VAR period we of are. the world football phoning. We are. This this is a VAR VAR free zone. But, is it, but, but is still. it VAR or VAR for you? Um, well, it's, it's VAR when I'm making puns. You see? You it's, see? it's definitely VAR when I'm making puns. Yeah, yeah, which, that's which what I, the which, like. Which I try and stay away from. Yeah. Um, when you talk about it evolving, a, a main part of it evolving, I, I think back to, what, 2009 maybe, when it became mm. a, a podcast. And by then, we had like greater in, interactivity on, on, on Facebook. People would get in touch with us, make the most of that community that you were talking about. And it really was a community. But for a while, there was a little bit of a disconnect because people who were listening to it just as a podcast would go, oh, why are you rambling off topic? Why aren't you talking enough about football? Yeah. Because and was that a difficult thing to realign? The fact that obviously media has changed so much in the last decade plus, but that a whole new listener was coming in that didn't appreciate that it was part of something bigger, maybe? Well, um, you still get people saying that. You still get people you saying do. that. Yeah, you do. Right. Oh, even now you'll get people saying, oh, I used to love the world football phony when they actually talked about football. Right. Um, but you see, we do talk about football. We do talk about football. Yeah. Arguably, we talk about football for 90% of the time. Right. Yeah. Arguably. Uh, and <laughs> no, no, but the thing is, it's what do, you, what do you call football? Every now and then we'll go off and, you know, riff an Elvis Presley tune just for the fun of it. But even then we make a link to the football. And, and But either way, in no context is football just what happens on the pitch. Totally. Otherwise there, we wouldn't be talking about it in the first place. And, and the way that the Americans see football, as you know, it's like a day out. So they'll have mm. their cookouts and you know they open up their the boot of their car what they call their trunk and have a kind of a cookout and drink yeah. a few beers and then go to the, do you know what we learned the other day when one of our listeners was actually watching a college football match live this is what we learned a friday just gone right they count the minutes backwards 
So towards the end of the match, there is a they do, 10, don't they? Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Now, come on, now. If that isn't a conversation about the heart and soul of football, then what is? Yeah, it, has, it absolutely. Would is. we have known that if somebody hadn't called up? I mean, you knew it clearly. Yeah, but. I didn't know that. And it seemed so absurd. It seemed as absurd as to when they changed the rule that goalkeepers didn't have to bounce the ball in the area as they were walking around with the ball. Do you remember when that rule first changed? You saw goalkeepers in the area running with the ball. You saw, yeah, oh, well, it's, horrible. It's, it's funny. It's funny how it changes in your brain because I was talking to someone about this the other day and someone posted an old YouTube highlight of Wimbledon beating Everton in 87. Mm-hmm. And I think it's Brian Gale passed it back to Dave Besant. And Dave Besant picks it up. And you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and even, even though, you know, yeah, it's yeah. 1987. It was, it was okay, uh, and, and it all turned it okay, out yeah. all, all, all right. <laughs> but when we talk about it being um, part of, A, the passion of people who are getting involved, mm. and, and B, how it's part of something else. Two major incidents from when I would, the seven years that I was doing it really Andy stuck in my mind. Brasson! That man, the shouter, <laughs> I can't even remember what you shouted at me about. I've when, never seen you when... enjoy yourself so much. <laughs> Sometimes I laugh so much that I'm almost, I feel like I'm going to pass out. I mean, I genuinely think, oh my God, I'm just about to pass out. Oh, I've got to stop laughing somehow. But everybody loved that. Everybody loved that. Every, that was just one of those magic that. moments. And someone, of... someone, someone, ra- he rang back afterwards because in Is... the end, he was shouting so much he couldn't speak. He ran back afterwards was to finish up his point. Was it Hakeem? I'm not sure. He, it, it was a it was a black guy, an African guy, and I just remember he was so insistent to get his point across, but he was polite at the same time. Yeah, because he was calling you Andy Brasser, Andy Brasser. There was an element of getting told off by my mum with, 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 with a full, with a full name. The, the, the other thing that really stuck. Oh, did in he mind, say Andrew Brassel? Uh, yeah. I think if he said Andrew James Brassel, <laughs> yeah, okay. that that would have been a thing. That would have been a thing. That would have been too much detail. Yeah. The other thing that really stuck in my mind, and yeah, of course, people want to debate points i remember someone was um taking me to task on a point um i think it was just after the about six months after owen hargreaves had moved to manchester united Mm. after 2006 world cup and i was saying how he'd been vastly underrated before and was probably a little bit overrated in overcompensation at the end of it and there's a manchester united fan who's not happy about this and just as he was making his point you cut in and you said, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to interrupt you to bring you news that Saddam Hussein has been executed. Oh, my goodness. And oh, my goodness. It was, and all of a sudden, you had to go from football and what's essentially a trivial discussion to filling on something that was a major world event. Like, how do you do that? Well, I sometimes sit where... I am, and I'm thinking, how do you, as a pundit, do what you do? So it's always different disciplines, isn't it? Sure. Because you have to make comments about things that you might get found out about. 
um, the comment you're making about Owen Hargreaves, well, it's dependent upon Owen Hargreaves if you're going to be proved correct or not, isn't yeah. it? And sometimes you, you will know Tim Vickery has had to live with Raphael Scheidt. <laughs> That's a recurring thing. People would never remember him if he didn't get course, broke, brought up on the World Football phone. Of course, every third exactly. Week. <laughs> Raphael Scheidt. And let's leave it at that. Those who want to know what that's about, you can Google it. But um, but you won't get the spelling right. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not what you think. No. But so the way that you do it as a broadcaster, first of all, you have to get a sense of I'm, I'm a newspaper man, and um, it is what it says on the tin. News is what I am. Is in got, my DNA. You've got strongly journalistic instincts, and that always comes across in the shows. You, you've got to yeah. have. You've got to have a sense of what is news yeah. and what you have to do with news as well. Mm. Even though you're being jolly and everything like that, you know, if suddenly uh, the Manchester bombing ha- happened, you know, mm. I mean, that was a horrible night for us. Um, we scrapped the World Football Phone in that night, of course, as you'd expect. But let's say it happened during the time of the world football phoning. Yes. Well, actually, everything else is completely insignificant. It may not be at the beginning because the way that the Manchester bombing evolved was we didn't know quite what it was. But at that moment, you would get a sense of, look, let's tone everything down, guys. Yeah. You'd have to do that. And I think you... Because you're reacting to a breaking story. Of course. But, and, but something something like that, for example, like the, the, the Saddam Hussein thing, I mean, that's the ultimate 360, isn't it? It is. Uh, I mean, that wasn't as bad as um, um, Osama bin Laden being um, assassinated because Saddam Hussein, you knew that was coming. You knew it was mm. coming. It happened yeah. very quickly, yeah. you know, surprisingly, but um, you knew it was coming because, yeah. you know, he'd been on trial. You knew what the outcome of that trial was. But nevertheless, sure. that was the reason why a lot of our troops went to war. Mm. He was the reason why, rightly or wrongly, by the yeah. way, he was the reason why a lot of British lives were lost in Iraq. Yes. So it was a major story for us. And mm. even though he might have been portrayed as the most evil person on the planet as he clearly was at the time. It would still, it takes some, it takes your breath away and it takes Mm. some sort of understanding of, hang on a second, this is a story with gravitas that we need to bring the gravitas into the story. Yeah. But you get that sense as a, you see, for me, it's not as unusual. What I have to be careful of is getting the tone right yeah, that's the most important thing to me. I know yeah, that course. the news story something kicks in when you've got a major breaking news story. Mm. Something kicks in, whether it's the adrenaline or just the experience of being a broadcaster. But it's getting the tone right, mm. and at that point, look, you've just got to switch the tone. You can't just ease into it. You just have to. Sorry, breaking into this. Saddam Hussein's just been executed. Leave a pause and then pick up on it. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do, do you think the tone of the world football phone-in or anything you do on football has changed in the current environment because we've seen a, a lot more racist incidents in the, in the last, especially in the last year, but in the last couple of years, how has that changed the way that you feel about football and the way you speak about football? And how do you feel about it in general? Are you sad, surprised, angry, all three of these things? No, um, not surprised, not angry. And what was the third one? Sad. No, I'm not sad. Um, it's unacceptable. Mm. It's not, it's unacceptable. But, you know, I grew up in an era where that was part of the course of football. Yeah. And, you know, it didn't deter me from wanting to go to football matches or to be a football fan or to support footballers. Sure. I mean, I'm a Charlton supporter. Mm. At the moment, Lee Bowyer is our manager. Mm. He's done a pretty good job. At first, I was like, whoa, hang on a second. Despite everything else, Lee Bowyer comes with a little bit of baggage, fairly or unfairly, yeah. uh, where Charlton was one of the first clubs to kick it out, as it were, or yeah. at least to get onto that campaign. And I'm thinking, mm, should we have taken on the baggage? I think things change. Things change. Uh, times change. And what I've seen in the World Football phone-in, I mean, like you say, it's great having uh, pundits like, you know, Tim Vickery there, who will always bring that up because he's living in the cauldron of race in Brazil to a certain extent and can tell us about the history of that. And yeah. he allows me the the ability not to have to engage in that because if I'm engaging in it directly, people saying, well, we, yeah, we'd expect you to say that, Don, you're a black guy. Okay. Whereas Tim Vickery allows me to sort of sit back and indeed, um, uh, spring Boca junior, um, uh, uh, uh Mark, uh, Gleason, um, allows me to sit back. Cause again, he's in the cauldron of race in South Africa, uh, allows me to sit back and, you know, allow the discussion to evolve. What I will say <clears throat> is maybe people listen to World Football Phone who don't have those ignorant, uh, racist views, or maybe we've managed to change a lot of people's views, yeah. as football has done, actually, as yeah. football has done over the course of time. 
And my experience of talking to people like Paul Canneville, who was uh, Chelsea's first black footballer. That's he, an incredible book, by the way. It's a great book. And I know Ollie um, Glanville, who who was the um, who was the guy that wrote the book. Or yeah, wrote, him. wrote with him. Yeah, yeah, because we worked in the old days in Time Out City Limits. And guess what? One day, I'm um, there's a little kind of garden party on my street. And this kid comes along uh, with, you know, the the belle of the street who's just grown up and she's now 20 or she's at university and she's doing really well at university. This kid comes along and he says, uh, yeah, uh, all right, you're Dawson. Yeah, um, you know, Olivia told me she was living two doors away from you. And my dad says hello. And I'm like, who's your dad? And it's Ollie Glanville's son. <laughs> anyway, um um, uh, I'm saying Ollie Glanville's son. The son is Ollie Glanville. Uh, what Rick. am I getting? Rick Glanville. Sorry, yeah. apologies. I'm saying the other way around. Uh, I haven't seen Rick in about 25 years, as you well, can imagine. Ollie's Ollie's done all right. He's got credit for a book he never even wrote. He's a good kid. He's a good kid. We haven't got a problem with him. You know, we, we feel like we're not losing a daughter. We're gaining a son on our street. So. But I genuinely feel, when I speak to people like Paul Cannonville, that actually we've come a long way, you know, we've come a long way. Yeah. Because in those days, Chelsea fans, the racist ones, weren't having the goals that he scored. They were like calling it a draw if they won 2-1 and he scored one of the goals. You know, football's not like that anymore. Mm. There is a tribalism about football. You know, there is a kind of, you know, and I use this N-word guardedly, but nevertheless, I have heard it, you know, Mm. uh, shouted from the terraces, you know, our nigger's better than your nigger. There is a a sense of that, you Mm. know, the bloke the black bloke that plays for you ain't the same as the black bloke that plays for them so you can throw the abuse at the black bloke that plays for them whereas you know yours is just one of our lads do you know what i mean and um, that's something that comes up in was it is it headhunters it's it's one of those books chelsea lot isn't it isn't it yeah Yeah. you've you've got the 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 guy who runs with them who's who's black paul yeah yeah. it's it's, it's the same thing well well do you know cas pennant have you had cas pennant on the no i've not no No, you should Uh, cas pennant is ic3 you know Mm. is proper um um what what, i say ic3 ic3 is black and what i meant was intercity what do they call the west ham ones intercity yeah icf icf ic3 now that was a freudian slip anyway (laughs) We'll work, we'll work on that another time. Cass Pennant um, was running around with West Ham fans in the days when, you know, West Ham fans were like Alf Garnet, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. And um, he was the first, if I get this correctly, he was the first football fan to be sent to prison for... Um, uh, for you know uh, misbehavior or whatever if if I'm correct about that right. and he feels that it was a travesty of justice he th- feels it's because he had the audacity to be black and be a football hooligan that he got sent to prison amongst other things but you need to speak to those people to think how far has football come mm. and I actually think that football leads the way in a lot of these things some of the adverts I've seen on TV the likes of Raheem Sterling are just amazing and mm. I couldn't have imagined that 20 years ago, let alone 30 or 40 years ago. So if we go back right to the beginning, I know we're, we're running short on our, our time with you. No, 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 no. Um, you take, you take your time, take your time. Um, if we go right back to the, the, the beginning and we think of you playing football in the street and going to Tottenham for the first time, what would you have thought if you'd been able to see in the future and you see Tottenham now with 
not just the improvement on the pitch, but this incredible new stadium, which when you go on that that train line that goes through Tottenham Hale up towards Seven Sisters, past that way towards Enfield and stuff. It, I remember that vividly the first time I saw it from that train because it looks like a spaceship landed in the neighbourhood. It's incredible. There's that. There's the move towards regeneration off the pitch. How do you feel about that? Well, I'm very engaged in Tottenham still. I'm of, chairman, of course, you're chair of the Bernie Grant Indeed, Art Centre. Chair Bernie of the Bernie Grant Art Centre. Yeah. So I, I, I get contact with the police on what the local crime situation is, amongst other things. You know, there was this guy, this uh, old raster guy that used to run a fish shop in, uh, uh, where was it? It's, uh, it's a market in Hackney. I can't remember. Uh, Broadway Market in yeah. Hackney. He's dead now. Uh, he's a guy called Spirit, and they called him Spirit because he was the spirit of the market, amongst other things. And he said to me once, when I went there to interview him about the gentrification of the area, he said, look, I don't mind gentrification as long as we all get gentrified. Yeah. And that's how I feel about Tottenham. There seems yeah. to be, you know, the stadium and all the money that brings in, which is great. Mm. But look at what Man City have done in East Manchester. It's enormous, isn't it? It's something it's, that's often overlooked, isn't it? Yeah, you've got to look at that. Because yeah. when I went up to Manchester to live about eight, nine years ago, that area was a dump, a proper mm. dump. I mean, having said that, I could have afforded to buy a whole flipping mansion there as well, <laughs> which I can't anymore. I can't even afford to buy a studio flat there. But nevertheless, you know, it has lifted up the people and I think it makes a real change. The same way as the BBC moving into Media City has made a change. Not quite the change that... It hasn't quite reached to all parts of that area. Right. But I think it will eventually. Give it some time. And that's what these football clubs can do. They are huge concerns. They're bringing in... Imagine that. They're bringing in... The other day, Pop Smoke got shot dead. Young rapper in the United States. And yeah. apparently, one of the reasons that he may have been shot dead was because he was posing with a wad of cash in his car outside the house where he was living in the Hollywood Hills. So it identified to some people where he was living. Mm. Wad of cash. And, you know, the wad was like, you know, maybe about eight inches thick of right. cash. You know how these young rappers play. And I love Pop Smoke, by the way, but, you know, welcome to the party. Uh, but what I thought about was the um, what Tottenham, the football club, brings in on a sort of a every other week basis is actually millions, mm. millions, quite apart from the advanced tickets, even what people buy, purchase there in terms of food Shop. and merch and yeah. everything else. It's millions, mm. millions. Only Tottenham can do that. And what are they going to do for the area is what I'm asking now. Yeah, I, I suppose only time will tell. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I know the woman who's in charge of the Tottenham Foundation, a remarkable woman called Sarah Ibanja, and that gives me hope that they employed the right person mm. to run the Tottenham Foundation, and um, I, she knows what Tottenham needs. She's been working there for a long time. Yeah, and I think little things like just, it sounds minor, but having Beavertown provide the beer. And, well, and, and, and it, it being affordable, yeah. but yeah. it's it's all little affordable. steps because for, because everything around the stadium hasn't changed 
No, yet. not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. It is coming, though. It is coming. Mm. And you can see the prices of the homes around the area have gone up quite considerably, actually. It is coming. Mm. Um, you, you, you need... It's a funny thing about... This is why London is such a wonderful city to live in, because it's the ultimate diversity or you know, diverse city, in that you need a mixture of people who are really wealthy, people who are moderately wealthy and people who are less less much less wealthy to make something work mm. you know you, you there are no areas in london where you don't you don't find any housing estates no um, not even in mayfair not even in mayfair there are council that is why london is unique there. in in many ways when you compare it to rio or paris or somewhere like that of course isn't it? of course yeah because we mix it all up mm. now when there is a mix of some more middle class people moving into tottenham mm. downtown tottenham i don't mean tottenham that's lower stamford hill for those of you who know the geography <laughs> um <laughs> i'm talking about north tottenham you know uh when people start moving into that area then i think um the whole area will change well, I've got to thank you so much for for joining us and, and sparing your time. Is this but, it? Well, oh, well you, you, know, you know what? I I know you you hate people giving you praise, so oh, I can't okay. let you go okay. without. Uh, I'm I'm going to default to to the great Tim Vick, the man who makes the world football phone in. indeed. Um, and go back to he when he was talking on the 20th anniversary of the show, and may there be many more years. He's everyone's Uncle D. That's a quote from your, your nephew, Toby, isn't it? He's a, he's a, he's a pro footballer. <laughs> um, he's everyone's Uncle D, a big Baloo the Bear figure guiding us, all of us Mowglies, through the highways of life. Very rarely do I put the mic down at the end of a show without feeling that the previous two hours were gloriously spent in a joyful weekly communion with old mates. Do you know when he said that? I was full of tears um, because my father had died a couple of days before. And even now when I speak about it, it wells me up because uh, it's very generous of him to say anything like that. And the World Football phone-in, we still miss you. People are still asking, where's Andy Brassel? Where's Andy Brassel? Why don't you use him anymore? And I always say, because we can't afford him, which is the right <laughs> answer, isn't it, Andy? No, that's not the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's the right answer. You know it does. You know it is. <laughs> This was a Stakhanov production. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.